Well, today we're starting a new series through the book of Ephesians. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to read through the book of Ephesians, but I'd, I'd strongly encourage you to read through it, and not just once. This, the book of Ephesians is the type of thing that if you actually make a pattern of reading it with regularity, you will come to understand Christian doctrine in a much deeper way. And it's not a very long book. And so just by reading it with some regularity, there are a variety of things that you can learn that I think will really improve and deepen your faith. And so we're going to spend some time together over the the coming weeks going through each of the chapters of the book of Ephesians. And in this book, you're going to see that among the specific subtopics that are spoken of, one of the big things that you're going to be able to see is that God has an eternal purpose for His church. And that runs like a theme throughout the course of this book. Now, today, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. And in verses 1 through 14, we're going to be shown that in Christ, we are made part of a new family. So if you would take your Bibles and turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 1. And I'm going to read down to verse 14. And, and you could even keep your Bibles open after I finish reading, as long as you don't mind doing that. Uh, because I'm going to keep referring back to these verses at, and rereading portions of this as we work our way through this part of, of chapter 1. But this is what it says, starting with verse 1 of Ephesians 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved." In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth." In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of of His glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for giving us the opportunity this morning to be able to come together under the teaching of Your Word and to look at what You've revealed to us here in this passage and to begin thinking about the ways in which You have clearly enunciated that that You have an eternal purpose for Your church. And Lord, we're grateful that we have the privilege to be able to look at this these opening verses of the book of Ephesians and see the nature of this new family that you have been creating. Lord, it's fascinating to see it and to think about the implications of being part of this family. 
So, Lord, we pray that as we begin this study and as we spend the coming weeks looking through the book of Ephesians, we pray that you would deepen our understanding of what you've revealed to us here. We pray that our our doctrinal understanding would grow, but we also pray, Lord, that our appreciation for who you are and what you've done and how we're to live in response to what you've done would also grow and would also mature and that you would be honored and glorified in the fruit that comes forth from our lives as you deepen our understanding and likewise deepen our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Lord, for this privilege. We thank you for your word, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I've mentioned this before, but one of my favorite weeks of the year, and in fact, I, would pro- I, I think at this point I would just say it's my favorite week of the year, happens at the very end of July, typically, and... Um, And that is the week that my family goes camping with our extended family. So my siblings and their spouses and their children, they all come. And my wife's sister and and her husband and all their children come. And we all go camping together. And it's a lot of fun. And there's even a couple other families that historically have joined us. And because they've spent so much time camping with us over the course of the years, at this point, even though we are not blood relatives, they also feel like family. And it's a very enjoyable week as we're camping together at the end of July. And most evenings, we end the day a very particular way. Now, tell me if this wouldn't be the ideal way to end every day as long as the weather cooperated. We end the day around a campfire. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, isn't that so much better than some of the other options we have, you know? Just ending the day, sitting around with everybody, essentially almost everybody you're related to, or at least your closest circle of relatives, all sitting together in the same place around a bonfire. It's really exciting. We make a big circle of chairs, and you have all the adults sitting around and and talking, and then all the kids join us. And and as we're talking, usually someone brings out snacks, and there's a snack tray that gets passed around, and people are, are, are toasting marshmallows and doing all sorts of things like that. And it's so unique because it's the only time of the year where essentially all of our family is together in one place. And for Andrea and I, it's really special because it's both sides of our family together in one place. That's very unique. I'm glad they get along with each other. You know, there's no guarantee that they would, right? But they all get along, all enjoy each other. And without fail, every year when I'm looking around that circle, one of the things that amazes me, and I think about it all, I think about this frequently, when I look around that circle, I'm looking at the the group of people that I consider my closest family, my wife, my children, my siblings, my nieces, my nephews, my, my in-laws were all around that circle. And other than my two sisters, so then other than two people, you know, that circle's kind of big. It's like 30 people. Other than two of those people, the rest I've only known for just a segment of my life, you know, including my wife and my children, right? I've only known them for a segment of my life. And yet I look at them and I would say, this group of people, this large circle of people that I've only known for, we'll say, essentially half my life, are my closest family in the world. And some of them I've only known for a few years, some of the younger ones. And I bring that up because when you look at Paul's letter here to the Ephesians, as he starts off this portion of Scripture, he begins to explain to us that we have been made part of a new family. This is one of the major blessings that comes to us as we trust in Jesus Christ. And I think that's a great way to begin this letter because that's what Paul's, ta- Paul, he's, Paul's talking about as he works through this letter. So he's talking about the church. He's talking about this new family 
that we've been part of, this new family that has wonderful eternal implications. And this is something that I think can bring encouragement to us each and every day. Now, let me give you some context even before we get into the details, because I think it's actually helpful to understand a little bit of the background of this book before we actually dig into the content. When Paul wrote this letter, he was actually under house arrest in the city of Rome. And it's very likely that this imprisonment lasted about two years. Some people speculate that it actually could have been a little bit longer than that, but there seems to be a general consensus that this imprisonment lasted roughly about two years uh, period of time. But he made great use of this time as he was in prison. And I, I often think to myself, it must have frustrated him to no end when he was arrested because he was arrested for pro- proclaiming the gospel. And when you look at Paul's activity through the, the book of Acts, and when you see some of the things that he's written in his letters, you can see that Paul was a man of action. And I don't know about you, but I don't do too well when I'm cooped up for too long. And I kind of get the impression that the Apostle Paul was one of those guys that didn't like to be cooped up too long. So I imagine initially, even though he trusted the Lord, he was probably wondering, why is the Lord allowing this to happen to me? Like, why am I, why am I in prison for this period of time? I need to be out there starting churches. I need to be out there raising up leaders and training leaders and preaching and doing different things, and yet he's got me cooped up here in this, this home imprisonment in Rome, but he made good use of the time. And I think the Lord wanted Paul to sit down for a little bit because there were some things that the Lord was going to communicate to Paul through the Holy Spirit that Paul was to write down. And so during that imprisonment, Paul wrote this letter. But he didn't just write this letter. He also wrote letters to, uh, a letter, his letter to the Philippians. He also wrote his letter to the Colossians. He also wrote his letter, it's a brief letter, to Philemon. So they were all written during this time. So this wasn't a wasted period of time. But for those letters to get written, I, I suspect that the Lord was like, you know what, Paul, you've got to sit down for a little bit. And I'm going I'm to clear your schedule. I'm going to clear your schedule for you, and then, then we're going to have you write a few things down. So have a pen ready. Now, this letter to the church at Ephesus is a little different than those other letters. Uh, the, you know, some of the letters that Paul wrote during the course of his ministry, he wrote to individuals. Some letters he wrote to churches. But this one in particular, it's a little bit different. It's widely believed that this letter in particular was intended not just to be sent to the city of Ephesus, although Ephesus was certainly an influential city, but many people believe that this was a letter that was actually intended to be what they call an encyclical. It was written, but it was meant to be spread around. It was designed to be spread around right from its, its very inception. And when, you know, when, so you have Paul thinking, all right, this needs to be shared where all the believers are gathered in this region because I want them to understand better doctrine. I want them to be able to fend off false teaching. I want them to understand the nature of the gift of salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. And so when you read through this book, what you discover is that this is a doctrinal book that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write in order to help the church understand foundational areas of doctrine and faith and how those concepts were to be applied to our daily living. Now, when you look at this book, it's typically, you know, the way we, we uh, divide it, we, we chop it up really into six sections. We, we like to chop it up into six chapters. And there's a very simple way to outline this book in your mind. You can look at the first three chapters in a general way as a summary of what God has done for us. So if you ever want to just kind of sit back for a little bit and meditate on the concept of what has God done for me, read the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians and just note 
all the different things that God has done for you. So that's how the first half of the book, in general, could be summarized. And then the next three chapters, you could look at and basically look at those three chapters as, so what am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to live this out? What am I supposed to do, or how am I supposed to respond to what God has done for me? So you have half the book focusing primarily on what God has done for us, and half the book primarily focusing on how we can live in response to that. But God's eternal purpose for the church is explained here in this brief book. And like, like we already mentioned, this new book here, it begins by, by helping us to see that through Christ we have been made part of a new eternal family, and that allows us to enjoy eternal blessings that are far beyond anything that we could naturally imagine. So let me show you a few very significant things in the book of Ephesians right here in this opening chapter. And one of the things that we could see, if you look at verses 3 through 6, and I'm going to reread these for us in just a second here, but here you have Paul demonstrating for us and explaining to us the benefits of being part of this new family. What does it look like for you and me to be part of this new family? Let me read verses 3 through 6 again. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us, it's kind of interesting, by the way, as I'm, I'm reading this, you almost make a list. You could treat this like a list, right? He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It's a very powerful statement there. Now, when I was a small child, I thought it was the coolest thing that my family owned a grocery store. I thought it was the neatest thing. Many of my favorite stories from my childhood come from days that I had the chance spending with my grandfather and my father at Stongi's Market on Cedar Avenue in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And when I would pull up there in my parents' car and I'd look at that building, I always thought it was the coolest thing to see our family name on the sign, outside that building. I always enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was pretty special when I would walk around that store as just a young boy for people to know that I was the owner's son because that's typically how people would refer to me as a kid walking around that store. It's like, oh, his dad owns this place. Oh, he's the owner's son. He's the owner's son. And in my mind, I was like, that's right. I'm the owner's son. And I have the same name as my dad and the same name as my, my grandfather. So if you say John Stonge, you could be talking to any one of the three of us, and we share authority equally here. Right, Dad? Right, Grandpa? Not quite. But I thought it was pretty special. And you know what else was pretty special? And you're going to appreciate this a lot, and you don't even know why yet. But I've heard you tell me that you enjoy deli meats like I do, all right? So um, when I was at that store, as a young child still in my single digits, they taught me how to work the slicer and all that. You could never get away with this now, okay? It's a different era. But they taught me how to work the slicer because they were tired of having to do it for me all the time. And they're like, listen, your hands work, your eyes work, work the slicer. Stand on a milk crate and cut meat for yourself if you need to. So I got good at slicing meat at a young age. And one of the benefits of being a, you know, the, the owner's son in that store is that whenever I wanted, I could go behind that counter and select whatever deli meats I want, whatever topping I want. I could take the meat, put it on the slicer, and I got good at, at, at slicing it paper thin. You know how you like it? I mean, I like it that way. I don't know if you like deli meats thick, but I like it just paper thin. And we would, my, my sisters and I, we would kind of compete to see who could make it like almost invisible 
like who can make it almost see-through. What child wouldn't love playing with a meat slicer? You know what I mean? <laughs> like this was a good experience in my childhood. And uh, we got and the, and then whatever toppings. Or I could I could make like giant deli sandwiches. Uh, and, and can I tell you, my wife is downstairs, I think, for Children's Church. She will confirm that this is a true statement. She said to me when we first got married, she said, do you have any requests? Like when I go grocery shopping and, and you know, get foods, are there, like what, what do you think you would want to eat with regular, regularity? And I said, I'm not super picky. I really like very basic things. But I said, there's one thing I am kind of picky about. I said, please don't buy the junk lunch meat. Buy the good lunch meat. And uh, I, I still remember the first, you know how you argue about really stupid stuff when you're first married? Like really stupid stuff? I remember one time she bought the not so good lunch meat and I took a bite of my sandwich and I was like, the world stopped. I was like, <laughs> I was like I'm sorry, but my palate has been trained to appreciate a higher caliber of deli product than this. And she's like, okay, it was on sale. I won't buy it again. But I thought it was pretty special as a child walking around that store and being able to then walk behind the counter and be able to use that slicer. It was all part of just like the benefit of being part of our family. I was thinking about that a little bit when I was thinking about this concept of the benefits of being part of this new family that we're part of through Jesus Christ. Because that's what the scripture is illustrating for us. You and I, we have walk behind the counter, use the slicer privileges. If I could use a deli analogy for an eternal benefit. But that's the nature. This is how my mind thinks, so please work with me, all right? Apply it how it makes sense to you, but that's how it makes sense to me. Through Jesus Christ, we've been made part of the family of God forever. And he doesn't want you at a distance. He doesn't want you on the other side of the counter. He wants you right where he is. And he gives you access to where he is. And in fact, He gives you the privilege to walk right where he is and to to spend your time close to him. These blessings aren't earthly in nature. They're, They're beyond earthly. They're beyond material things. But in Christ, God the Father has granted us spiritual benefits and has lavished things upon us that are so significant that the Apostle Paul thought, I need to make sure that the church at Ephesus and and all the people that this letter gets shared with, that they understand these things. And the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these things down. And Paul reveals some of these blessings here in this passage. And he tells us, first of all here, he tells us that we have been chosen in Christ to be part of the family of God even before the world was formed. Now, I don't know what you think of yourself. I'm assuming there's probably a few things you like of yourself and a few things you don't like about yourself. And uh, knowing how the human mind works, we tend to focus on the negative more often than we should. And I don't know how often you preach the message to your heart that reminds your heart that, that you have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world, but I have to tell you, if you have a habit of beating yourself up about worldly things, I hope your mind can come back to even just that statement for a moment. Because you're not part of God's family by accident. You're not somebody that he's like, well, I made them, I might as well make them part of my family. That's not how it works. Scripture tells us that if you know Jesus Christ, the spiritual implications of that taken all the way back to the beginning means that God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. You think you chose God. And then he's like, that's cute. I chose you. And the only reason your eyes were even open to see your need for me is because I opened them. That's what he's done for us. We didn't choose him. He chose us. We responded to to what he initiated to begin with. 
And so Paul talks about the fact that we've been chosen in Christ to be part of the family of God even before the world was formed. And then he also tells us that we've been set apart as holy and blameless in God's sight. Do you think of yourself as holy and blameless? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as holy and blameless? I already know the answer to that because I know how I frequently see myself. And I have to remind myself that in God's eyes I'm seen differently than I frequently see myself. And one of the parts of spiritual maturity that I think that the Lord wants us to attain is that we start seeing ourselves the way He sees us. And when he looks and when he, look, when he looks at you and when he looks at me, if we are in Christ, he's not looking at you and me for every mistake we've ever made or every error we've ever made or all the things that we, we tend to goof up day in and day out. He's seeing who he has made you to be. He knows the end result of your salvation. And in Christ, he's seeing you as holy and blameless, meaning when he's looking at you, He's not looking at you as as one who remains condemned. He's looking at you and he's seeing his son within you. And in Christ, you are holy and blameless in the eyes of God. That's what Paul's trying to help the church to understand. How about this? He's also revealed to us here that we have been adopted into God's eternal family through Jesus Christ. Now, there are several families in our church family who have adopted children. Several of my good friends have been adopted. Adoption is one of the most special and beautiful things that the Christian church through the centuries has elevated and shown to be the beautiful thing that it genuinely is. In fact, some of our good friends, Seth and Becky Richardson, who are part of our church family here, are in the process now of beginning an adoption. So uh, pray for them and support them if you're able to do so. Support them financially if you can. Uh, but they, are, they're going, they don't know if they're going to have a, a new son or a new daughter, but they know that the Lord's impressed upon their heart to adopt a child and bring that child into their home. And think about that. That child, and I don't know where that child's going to be born, and I don't know all the details about that child, God knows, but think about the blessing that that child is going to have. Those of you, now Seth and Becky are going to be highly embarrassed when they hear this, all right, because I'm saying this not in their hearing. But those of you that know Seth and Becky, think about it. Aren't they not two of the nicest people you've ever met in your entire life? So there's some kid somewhere that's going to have the privilege to grow up in that home. Tell me that isn't one of the biggest advantages that that child is going to receive ever. Some child somewhere is going to be adopted into that family and have the privilege to grow up in that home. And to have godly parents who model the love of Christ, who love that child, who raise that child up to know Jesus. And then I look at this portion of Scripture, and it says that we have been adopted into God's eternal family through Christ Jesus. You've been adopted into the family of God. He wants you as part of His family. And think about the blessings and the privileges that come to you forever because you're part of it. So these are pretty eternally significant blessings. And these are things that far outweigh the material blessings of this world. But most people, what do they do? Most people spend their lives completely enamored with the material blessings of this world. And they don't think a whole lot about spiritual blessings because those aren't the things that we see with our natural eyes. Those are things we learn to appreciate when the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes to begin seeing them. And even in the city of Ephesus, where this letter was initially shared, 
That was something that was very much a priority, to see things from an earthly standpoint, to see things from a material standpoint. That was the culture of the city. That's how they saw just about everything. In fact, in that city, there was a large temple, and it was a temple to the goddess Artemis, also referred to as Diana. So this large temple was there in the city. It was a temple that took, actually, I don't know how long you think a long building project is. That temple took 220 years to build. And it made Ephesus a city that people would travel to from all over the place. And people would spend a lot of money when they were there. It was a tourist destination. And they would come and they would worship Artemis. They would come, they would worship Diana. Artemis was a fertility goddess. So what are people worshiping when they're worshiping a fertility goddess? Basically what they're saying is, They have the desire to prosper in an earthly way. So fill me with abundance of earthly things. That's what they're basically coming to Ephesus to worship. The goddess that they believe will will ultimately give them an abundance of earthly things. And when I look at that, when I think about the historical context that the Apostle Paul was writing this letter in, I think, you know, it's sad to think that these people were so wrapped up in what they thought earthly benefits might be or what earthly benefits might look like, and they weren't really thinking about uh, supernatural benefits that come, and that was, you know, an an issue in the city. And then I think about the fact that isn't it sad to consider, even in our day and age, how many people, which would be most people, really just prefer material blessings over spiritual benefits? And isn't it doubly sad when that creeps into our mind as believers in Christ who have been blessed with so much more, and yet we spend so much of our time and our life thinking about things that really are just temporary things? It's like worshiping a popsicle on a hot day. It's like, you got it. Oh, it's nice. Yeah, it's good. It's enjoyable. It's going to be gone in five minutes. You really want to give your life for that? You really going to, you want to devote your life to that, to that frozen treat on a hot day? It doesn't make any sense, but yet that's what we so easily do because it's easier to gravitate toward what we've seen than to gravitate toward what we haven't seen. And that's why the Lord tells us that the essence of faith is trusting him for the things we haven't yet seen with our eyes yet. But for those that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, we don't have to try and find our sense of identity or our sense of value or a sense of worth in temporary things. In Christ, think about the eternal benefits that Paul already listed for us here. In Christ, we've been chosen. In Christ, we've been adopted into the family of God. In Christ, we're, we're seen as holy and blameless. And these blessings remain true of you in Christ, regardless of how your present-day circumstances may change. Your job title might change, but that doesn't change the fact that you've been chosen by God. Your income might change. Your location might change, but that doesn't change the fact that you've been adopted into God's family. Your perception of your personal abilities might change, but that doesn't change the fact that you are seen as holy and blameless through Jesus Christ in the eyes of God the Father. Don't wrap your identity around anything that won't be true of you forever. If it's not going to be true of you a thousand years from now or a million years from now, don't adopt it as part of your identity now. Your job title is not who you are. It's just a temporary stewardship. The amount of money in your bank account is not who you are or what your worth is wrapped around. It's just a temporary circumstance. Your circumstances are so temporary right now that we should not be wrapping our identity around anything that won't last forever. But the things that will last forever are the things that are true of us in Christ Jesus. You've been chosen. You've been adopted. You are holy. You are blameless. That's who you are forever. That's 
the kind of identity we have in Christ. So there's great benefits in being part of our new family. But there's something else the Apostle Paul brings up in this portion of Scripture when you look at verses 7 through 10. And he explains to us so that we don't devalue what's been done for us. He explains that the highest price possible was paid to purchase your freedom, to make you part of this family. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood. So he's he's saying, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The highest price was paid to purchase your freedom. This month, and it's not even over yet, there's still a couple days left in this month, so I don't know that I should speak quite yet, but I'll tell you what, this month has been a very expensive month for my family, much more so than I anticipated. This is the month that our property taxes were due. Yay. So we paid our property taxes. Isn't that so fun? Everyone also enjoy paying their property taxes? I heard that, uh, right? We're in agreement, right? Not fun. We also paid for an upcoming vacation. That's fun, but we're paying for it ahead of time. And so I was like, well, let's reserve it now so that, that we've got our spot. We also had to pay for car inspections this month. That's fun too, right? Paying for car inspections. How about school shoes for the kids? That's fun, too. Well, we got to pay for that. Uh, Paid for airfare because we traveled down to Nashville a few weeks ago, so that was fun. Uh, We also paid tuition for two of our children to attend summer camp, also a blast. Uh, This week, we had a chance to pay for some college fees. Love that. Amen, college students? Love paying those college fees. That's right. Paid that this week. And then just a few days ago, I, I noticed something when I turned on the water in my house. I was like, this is weird. I was like, why won't it heat up? And I was like, oh, no. Our our water heater is 16 years old, so I knew in my heart what I was about to see. And I go downstairs, and I see rusty water leaking out of the bottom of our water heater. And I was like, why this month, water heater? Like, just one more month. Why this month, right? So I called my good friend Frank. I said, Frank, I need a favor. Can you come and replace my water heater? And within four hours... I had uh, a new water heater installed, so that was great. And he said, well, I've got good news and I've got bad news for you. And I said, what's that? And he goes, well, the good news is um, you have a new water heater, and the bad news is those cost money. So (laughs) I was like, I know, and I paid that. But I I looked at that, and I was like, all right, so in one sense, I, I, I thought, all right, well, Lord, I'm grateful that I was able to pay for all of that. I'm also grateful that not every month is like that, because when I was looking at it, I was like, it just, it's just one of those days. It's like when you move into a new house, and every time you go out of the house, you're spending $100 at Lowe's. You're like, why does it cost? Nobody move. We are not walking out of this house, right? If we walk out of this house, it will cost us $100, maybe $200. Don't move. Nobody move, right? Um, kind of an expensive month. And then you look at what's said here about our redemption through Jesus Christ. When I look at what the words that Paul shares here in this passage we realize that the price we may pay on this earth during our most expensive month, it could be the most expensive month you've ever had, it's nothing compared to the price that God paid to redeem you from your sin and from your condemnation. It is nothing compared to the price he was willing to pay to do that. Scripture here tells us that we have redemption through the blood of Christ. So Jesus redeemed us from sin. He paid for our freedom with his own blood. 
Through him, Scripture reveals to us that we are released and we are delivered from our slavery to sin, from our slavery to Satan, from our slavery to death. We've been delivered from these things. That means that God was willing to pay the highest price possible to secure your freedom. And now through Jesus Christ, what the Scripture here is revealing to us is that we are forgiven of our sins. We are no longer chained to our rebellion because we've been redeemed. Our freedom has been purchased. We've been graced with a a new life. We've been graced with a, a new way of thinking. The wisdom and the insight of God has been lavished upon us. We've been made capable to see things from God's perspective and to operate with divinely empowered insight into God's perfect will. Is this not a blessing of our redemption through Jesus Christ? Isn't it amazing? I mean, we could spend a long time just kind of listing all these things out as Ephesians chapter 1 makes them plain to us. And just as we have been brought under Christ's authority, when you look at what Paul's telling us here, he's basically saying, so too will all creation. Heaven and earth will be united under the lordship and leadership of Jesus Christ. All things will be united under his leadership. And the impact of sin and the division that it's caused throughout history will be forever eradicated by Jesus. But the highest pace, or the highest price was paid to secure our freedom, to purchase our freedom. It was paid with the blood of Jesus Christ. And Paul wanted us to make sure that we understood that. But there's one other thing he, bo- he points out in this passage, and this is where I want to finish up today. And he shows us here that our eternal inheritance is something that, that has been secured for us and will also bring God glory. Let me reread verses 11 through 14. Because in those verses it says this, it says, In him we have, an obta- we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Have you ever been given something that you don't know what to do with, and you feel compelled to take it just because you're being polite? Do you ever have something like that happen? Bob's smiling. He's thinking of something specific. You could tell me after church. I, I see that, yeah. Uh, have you ever had that happen? Where someone gives you something, you're like, I have no idea what to do with this, but I feel like I need to be polite. I need to be polite, and I need to accept this. I'll tell you something. I, I am not someone who prefers to have a lot of things. I'm not a, I'm not a stuff person. Um, if I don't have a use for something, you know what I typically do? If it's useful, I try and find someone who can use it so I can give it away because there, I find a lot of joy in that. I think that that's very enjoyable. But that becomes particularly tricky when someone leaves you something in their will. So a couple times recently, I've had that experience where things have been left to me in wills that I had no idea what to do with because I had no use for these specific things. But then you start to feel like an emotional obligation. What am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with these dishes? What am I supposed to do with these books? What am I supposed to do with this credenza? What am I supposed to do with this very old baby stroller? What am I supposed to do with this? And admittedly, and this could get me in trouble, so this is why I'm glad I have a church family, because sometimes I irritate my biological family without intending to do it. But I think, and I discovered that I actually bruised a few feelings 
toward my extended family, not intending to, but I, unfortunately I did it, by choosing to not take some things that were given to me as an inheritance. Is that bad? Don't tell me if it's bad. They already did. Um, but what I did was, instead of accepting these things and just letting them collect dust in an attic or take up room in a home and, and knowing that I really wasn't going to use them, I gave them to family members that I knew either wanted them or needed them. So in my mind, I did a good thing. But I don't know if everyone agrees. And earthly inheritances can be a little tricky when it comes to things like that. Here's the other thing, all right? I was really tight with my grandmother, and there was a couple things she left me that I thought, oh, that's awesome. I'm glad she left me that. And then a couple things I was like, Grammy, what am I supposed to do with this? And here's how I console myself. I know that in heaven, she literally does not care. You know, she's like, oh, I cared about that on earth. Do you think I still care about that? You should see the stuff here, you know? It's like, don't even care about that. I know she cared about it on earth. I'm certain, 100% certain, that she does not still care about those things. So that's how I consoled my conscience when I gave some of those things to my cousins and, and my sisters. I was like, I think Grammy would understand. She has a different perspective now. But I look at this sort of thing, and I think, all right, in Christ, we have an inheritance that we would never want to give up. That's how Paul ends this section. He's talking about this inheritance you have. You have an inheritance you would never want to give up. He talks about it here a couple times, right? We have a place in his eternal kingdom, and we have the internal presence of the Holy Spirit who seals us, and Scripture here tells us that the Holy Spirit, he guarantees that inheritance. You have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, meaning it is a guarantee that you will be there. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have been sealed with the Spirit, and that inheritance is guaranteed. So I might not get very excited about furniture. I might not get very excited about dishes or other items that get left to me on this earth. But I'll tell you what, I get very excited about the incorruptible inheritance that has been divinely promised to me when I look at a portion of scripture like this. And keep in mind, do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? My favorite part of the entire Bible is, is Matthew 5 and 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I come back to it time and time again. And there's so many quotable things from that portion of scripture. But I love what Jesus says about this concept of a, a heavenly inheritance. Very well-known portion of scripture, Matthew 6, starting with verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be also. If your heart's latched onto things of this earth, you're going to end up doing what the people of Ephesus were doing. Many of the people in Ephesus just worshipped and idolized the things of this world, and they prayed to Artemis for more prosperity and more earthly riches and more earthly fertility and all sorts of things like that. And here, what does Jesus tell us? He's like, look, where your treasure is there, your heart's going to be also. So do you want an earthly-minded heart or a heavenly-minded heart? Do you want to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven that can't be corrupted or ruined? Or do you want to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth that are like that melted popsicle that goes away after five minutes? I have to say, I'm looking forward to that heavenly inheritance. And I'm grateful Scripture tells us about it, because that's something the Lord tells us about ahead of time so that our hearts will look forward to it. It's a peek into your future, and He's trying to encourage your hearts right now by giving you that peek. He didn't have to tell you about that. He didn't have to tell me about that. He told us about it because it actually does something to your quality of life now and helps us set our hopes not on earthly things. But there's something I've learned to value about that inheritance in many respects, even more so than the inheritance itself. 
And Paul illustrates that here in this portion of Scripture. I love the fact that the Scripture tells us that our inheritance, that the way it was obtained, and the matter in which it's guaranteed through the Holy Spirit, all of that brings glory to God. Isn't that pretty cool to think? Not only are you blessed with an inheritance, you're blessed with an inheritance that was obtained and given to you and secured in such a way that also gives God glory. It gives God honor. The chief reason you and I were created was to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why you exist, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And this inheritance is something the Scripture tells us glorifies God. The way it's given, what it is, how it's secured, He bestows it upon us, and He allows us right now and in eternity to honor Him and glorify Him in the way that He deserves. I'll tell you what, as we finish up today, it is not a trivial thing to be part of the family of God. That is not a small thing. It has eternal significance, eternal consequence. So I just want to ask you the question, is that something that you have learned to develop a deep appreciation for? Do you appreciate this concept of being part of God's eternal family through Christ Jesus? And maybe I could even ask this. Are you living with certainty that you are part of that family? So I'll say this two ways as we finish up. If you are not yet living with certainty that you are part of that family, very simply, let me encourage you to place your full trust in Jesus Christ, who paid the highest price to redeem humanity to purchase your freedom with his blood. Don't look at that and take it for granted. There is no greater price that could have been paid to secure your freedom from sin, Satan, and death. That is a gift that's being offered to you, and he invites you to accept that gift, to trust in him and experience that blessing. And if you have experienced that, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, my encouragement for you is to live today and to live this week and to live every day as a man or a woman who is grateful for the blessings of being part of God's family. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this and to think about the implications of all these different things that you've revealed to us here. Lord, it truly is significant to be part of your new family, and we're grateful that as we begin our new study of the book of Ephesians, that you're allowing us to see these things and to be able to perceive the eternal benefits that you've given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we don't deserve these things. These aren't blessings that we secured through our merit. These are things that you granted to us by your grace and that you purchased through the shed blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, please help me to live as someone who is grateful for these things. Please help all of us to live as people who are grateful for these things. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in my hearing who as of yet has not experienced the blessing of becoming part of your family through faith in your son, Jesus Christ, that today would be the day that you would awaken their spirit, that today would be the day that you would open up their eyes and that you would help them to see their need for your son, Jesus Christ, so that their mind wouldn't be continually consumed with the things of this world and placing their hope in the things of this world that will be gone in five minutes but that their hope and their perspective would be, on, would be beyond all of this and that you'd give them that peek into the future that you give to your children. 
Lord, thank you for allowing us to join you behind the counter. Thank you for giving us your name. Thank you for all the blessings and all the privileges that we experience as being part of your family. And again, as we study this book together in the coming weeks, we pray that we'd be encouraged and challenged each and every week as we look at this scripture. And that we'd find ourselves saying, Lord, we're amazed at what you've chosen to do on our behalf. And we're just so grateful to be the recipients of your blessings. Help us to live out our lives in such a way that we show that gratefulness. We thank you, Lord, for all of these things. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.